Welcome to Girls Lead Podcast, where we lead the focus on female history. We are your hosts, and every other Thursday, we will have a new person and new stories to talk about. If you have a story you would like to share and are interested in being featured, please direct message our Instagram account at Girls Lead Podcast. This week, we will be discussing the history of toxic masculinity, and later, Lily and I will conduct casual conversations and how the idea of toxic masculinity has changed over generations. Keep in mind that this is completely educational and there is no intended hate. Over the past several years, toxic masculinity has become a term for people to explain the behaviors for male violence and sexism. Masculinity can indeed be destructive, but both conservative and liberal stances on this issue commonly misunderstand how the term toxic masculinity functions. When people use it, they tend to diagnose the problem of masculine aggression and entitlement as a cultural or a spiritual illness, something that has infected today's men and leads them to reproachable acts. Many conservatives allege that charges of toxic masculinity are an attack on manhood itself. At a time when men already face challenges such as higher rates of drug overdose and suicide. This is a very serious problem. I avoided commenting on this topic for the longest time without properly educating myself. I've spoken to people from past generations to people who are even still in high school. I've done my research and now I understand the weight toxic masculinity holds well enough to uplift its stories. I recommend you all do the same. Toxic masculinity has three core components, toughness, power, and anti-feminist. These mere words push onto men to shape them into human beings with no emotional bone in their body and heavy on the work hard, play hard phase. But what if men aren't physically strong or behaviorally aggressive? What if men do need help emotionally? What if they don't want to work hard just to be respected? Since we focus more on the negative parts of a person and how they act, we rarely stop to think about how these people are being affected due to societal opinions of how men should behave. Essentially, the three core components tend to glorify unhealthy habits. The notion self-care is for women and men should treat their bodies like machines by skimping on sleep, working out even when they're injured, and pushing themselves to their physical limits. This could completely take a toll on someone's mental health. Imagine a snail. With those key components constantly attacking that snail's shell, the shell will eventually break, leaving a slug. And now the slug will eventually dry out. If you are expected to act a certain way because society tells you to, depending on who you are, you might feel the need to succumb to those societal opinions without thinking about how would you even feel about them. It's the same with masculinity, the idea that you have to follow these components to gain respect or to even be considered a real man. In addition to pushing themselves hard physically, toxic masculinity discourages men from seeing doctors, seeing a physician for an annual physical run contrary to some men's beliefs about toughness. In addition to avoiding preventable treatment, toxic masculinity also encourages unhealthy behaviors. A 2007 study found that the more men conformed to masculine norms, the more likely they were to engage in risky behaviors, such as heavy drinking, using tobacco, and avoiding vegetables. 
toxic masculinity also discourages men from getting mental health treatment, depression, anxiety, substance abuse issues, and mental health problems may be viewed as weakness. A 2015 study found that men bought into traditional notions of masculinity held more of a negative attitude about seeking mental health services compared to those with more flexible gender attitudes. Toxic masculinity may also stress that it's inappropriate for men to talk about their feelings. Avoiding conversations about problems or emotions may increase feelings of isolation and loneliness. It may also reduce men's willingness to reach out and get help when they are experiencing a mental health issue. A man's race and ethnicity may even play a role in how he views masculinity, as well as how others perceive him. A 2013 study found that among white college students, Asian American men are viewed as less manly than white or black men. The masculine requirement to remain stoic and be a good provider can lead to John Harryism in African-American men. This term is used to describe men who use high effort as a way to cope with problems, and they continue to do so in the face of chronic stress and discrimination. A 2016 study linked John Harrism to an increased risk of hypertension and depression. Boys of all races and ethnic backgrounds who do not act masculine enough may be subjected to harassment at school. The 2015 National School Climate Survey found that 85% of LGBTQ students reported being verbally harassed at school over their gender expression or sexual orientation. Gender non-conforming students reported worse treatment than the kids who conform to traditional gender norms while also identifying as LGBTQ+. Men who view themselves as more masculine are less likely to engage in what researchers call quote-unquote helping behavior. That means they are less likely to intervene when they witness bullying or when they see someone being assaulted. A 2019 study found that toxic masculinity can prevent men from consoling a victim, calling for help, and standing up to the perpetrator. Men who endorsed the belief that men should be strong and aggressive were more likely to perceive negative social consequences associated with intervening as an active bystander. In instances of sexual assault, for example, men who identified the most with masculine behaviors were less likely to stop the assault. The study found that men would intervene in any conflict if they thought their reputation as being traditionally masculine might be compromised. Over the years, the American Psychological Association, also known as APA, began to recognize that societal pressures placed on men can have drastic consequences for individuals as well as society. Members of the APA created new guidelines for psychological practices that treat boys and men to help address some of the problems associated with toxic masculinity. Drawing on more than 40 years of research, they suggest that traditional masculinity is psychologically harmful. They also report that socializing boys to suppress their emotions creates damage. Researchers found out that when they stripped away stereotypes and cultural expectations, there weren't many differences in the basic behaviors between men and women. Time Diary Studies, a study that had participants' long diary entries of their activities, showed that men enjoyed caring for children just as much as women. 
differences in emotional displays between boys and girls are relatively small and not always in a stereotypical fashion. For example, a 2013 study found that adolescent boys actually display fewer externalizing emotions such as anger than adolescent girls. The new APA guidelines were created to help psychologists support men in breaking free of the masculinity rules that do more harm than good. If you feel like you're experiencing the negative effects of toxic masculinity, reach out to someone. A mental health professional can help you recognize how it's affecting your life and help you break free from the unhealthy patterns that may be keeping you stuck. The more people learn about toxic masculinity and the more people get help for it, the more likely we are to see changes on a bigger level as society may put less pressure on men to act a certain way. Recognizing differences in the lives of men and boys is crucial to the effectiveness of efforts to resolve gender violence and inequality. That's just something you have to remember and keep in mind and have this opinion or form an opinion on the concept of toxic masculinity. And this is where we are at today. It's not a happy ever after. And it's never like that with different opinions that often cause conflict. That's a wrap for this history portion. Now let's turn to the casual convo segment. Hi, I'm Trinity, and I am the co-host of Casual Convos. One of this week's episode convo is with Damien, a white 18-year-old male who recently graduated from high school. His pronouns are he, him. As what was expected of you based on your gender during your teenage years? My mother was always very good about trying to not put too many expectations on me to put me down, but like just socially from other people, it was probably the whole idea of suck it up, you're a guy, you'll be okay. Okay, and a follow-up question with that is, how has it affected you? Do you think toxic masculinity has changed over upcoming generations? I'm not sure if I can say it's really changed, maybe a little bit, but it has, I feel like it's always been, the idea of toxic masculinity basically comes from how um, guys would just feel how they had to be for I want to say forever, but like, you know, for a long time now, I don't think it's really changed too much. It's always been this idea of you've got to be the strong guy that makes the money for the house. You have to not be, you cannot be vulnerable, essentially. How do you think we can help lessen or maybe even out a stop to toxic masculinity? It's hard to say because it's everywhere. And at this point, it's sort of just implied in social life, even if people don't realize that they give that implication. They just kind of passively do that. Mm -hmm. To change it, I think a big part of toxic masculinity is like to cover up their vulnerabilities. Guys tend to make up for it with a big ego and have a huge sense of pride. It isn't necessarily to get rid of your pride. It's just to be learn humility a good lesson would be just teaching others uh humility and how to you can be proud of what you do but don't let it get in the way of certain things and don't let it cause you to be a jerk to everybody else do you think you've given to toxic masculinity at times now when you say given to toxic masculinity do you think i've like 
or do you mean as in like I've fallen victim to trying to cover up my vulnerabilities or do you mean as in like I take it out on others and am over prideful um vic falling victim yeah I would say so like I find myself trying to not show others a lot of the time my vulnerabilities this week's convo is with Lexi if you could introduce yourself that would be amazing Hi, I'm Lexi. I'm 17 years old and I'm from Virginia. So the first question is, what was expected of you based on your gender during your teenage years? I feel kind of a lot of like submission. Mm -hmm. I'm a very outspoken person. So that took a lot of people, especially men by surprise. They would put out an opinion and if I would disagree with it, they wouldn't really expect me to say anything. They would just kind of expect me to sit back and agree with them especially since I do a lot of like things with science, like science fairs, different STEM activities. Um, It's a very male dominated field. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times they don't really expect a woman to know what they're talking about or participate in discussions that have to deal with it. So definitely like a lot of submission, kind of quietness, timidness, stuff like that. How has that affected you? Do you think toxic masculinity has changed over upcoming generations? I think that it at first affected me negatively because it kind of put me in the mindset of, is this something like, should I be quiet? Should I be like submissive and not speak my opinion? Um, Especially, like I said, like with STEM involved things, it kind of made me think, is this something I really want to do? because my whole life I wanted to do something that had to do with science. But during my teenage years, I was kind of like, is it something I wanna do if I'm just gonna be treated like that? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it kind of had, I don't think it's gotten better over the years, but I think it's evolved in a way, like it's changed. It used to be men like would have to like seem macho strong. But now I think a lot of the times men will kind of portray themselves in a way that seems a little bit more fragile just so that they can then pounce on women and like express that toxic masculinity if that makes sense so like makes make themselves seem more progressive so that they can get women into a vulnerable position and then kind of act upon the opportunity to express the toxicness how do you think we can help lessen or maybe even out a stop to toxic masculinity I think that teaching them, like teaching men from a young age Mm -hmm. really helps like, because definitely middle school is when it really gets bad. Like men kind of start going in to like the YouTube phase where they watch a lot of kind of conservative type people like Ben Shapiro is a big one. And then they kind of get in that mindset of like, bring back manly men, stuff like that. So I think definitely teaching them from a young age and be like being able to prevent stuff like that from Mm -hmm. happening because men are born that way I think that it's kind of the environment they're exposed to that causes them to want to express themselves that way because they think like oh I have to be manly I can't be seen as any sort of sensitive or like a loser Mm -hmm. Um, so I think teaching them that it's okay to be vulnerable and have emotions and that being a man isn't just confined to one type of personality or look and I think that can help a lot. Do you think you've given to toxic masculinity at times? Honestly yes definitely like 
kind of like being in a room like surrounded by men kind of if I have a differing opinion I kind of just sit back in fear that like I don't want to be bashed on or like especially I notice it when it's like older men like middle-aged men like my dad and his friends if they're talking about politics Mm -hmm. and they have a different opinion than me sometimes I will say something but sometimes I won't because I don't want them to kind of say oh well you're just a teenage girl what do you know so Mm -hmm. I feel like I give in in the fact that I give them what they want by just staying submissive staying docile and not really participating in the conversation The next person I will be interviewing is my uncle named Chester English, who graduated from high school in 1964. He currently resides in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and his pronouns are he, him. He is out of town right now, but I will be relaying his responses. What was expected of you based on your gender during your teenage years? During my teenage years, it was expected that I would go to school and graduate. During those days, going to school was not expressed in a way that it was something you had to do. Emphasis was getting on a job. How has it affected you? Do you think toxic masculinity has changed over the upcoming generations? How do you think we can help lessen or maybe even add a stop to toxic masculinity? Toxic masculinity is a new term for me. When I was coming up, we probably referred to as being macho. I think it changed a little. When you listen to rap music, it would give you the impression that it's changed a lot. But that's just rappers trying to sell records. I don't think toxic masculinity has changed very much over the years. People are just going to be people. I don't think there's any effort, at least among black men, to put any roadblocks in front of any feminist movement. For white people, that's a different story. Do you think you've given to toxic masculinity at times? He responds with, no, not intentionally. I can only speak for myself. In any of my relationships, I've always tried to be fair. But on certain things, you have more knowledge. Then quite naturally, you're going to exert a measured amount of toxic masculinity. The last featured participant that we will be hearing from is Lillian interviewing her grandmother. She was class of 1960, and she shares her thoughts on toxic masculinity. What was expected of you based on your gender during your teenage years? Not much. I came from a working class family in a working class region of Minnesota. Uh, The whole area was dominated by iron ore mining. Uh, The economy didn't have many other opportunities. Very few people went to college, male or female. The men uh, went to work in the mines. The women, if they went to college, limited themselves to education or nursing, and uh, those who didn't go to college became clerks or secretaries or waitresses. I took commercial classes in school and became an office worker after high school. Do you think you've given into toxic masculinity at times? Yes, uh, I think I have given into toxic masculinity in terms of the fact that for the first part of my marriage, I viewed my husband as the one who was going to be the breadwinner and who had to be strong for the whole family. And it was only in the 70s when it became not really possible to raise a family with only one salary that I realized that I had to develop my skills and uh, help with that endeavor. Luckily, I was not 
I was not married to someone who bought into toxic masculinity and he supported me at every level uh, for me to do that. It was for the family. Do you think toxic masculinity has changed with the coming generation? It certainly changed in my family. And as I said, I think the change changes came about because it was no longer economically possible uh, for men to support families in the way that men did in the 50s as the uh, single breadwinner. So women went back to work mainly because they had to, and uh, they found it satisfying when they did. So I think it's changed a lot. How do you think we can lessen or even stop toxic masculinity? Well, first of all, you have to be aware of how toxic it is for both. For men, it was a lot of pressure. And it it kind of led to, I think, a lot of, I would say, kind of rude and and bad behavior, dismissal of women and, you know, calling them the little woman. And uh, also, uh, you know, the whole idea of this uh, male culture where they spar with one another and uh, kind of abuse one another. That starts in high school or grade school even. And I think lasts, unfortunately, through, through life in some Uh, sectors of society. So it's bad for the males and it's bad for the females because it limits them. I think that, you know, one of the things that's happened is that schools no longer train women or train females to do kind of a female track. While the boys in, in the 1950s, while the boys were taking shop, the girls were taking home ec. And so we emerged supposedly knowing how to boil an egg, but not how to fix anything in the house. That's a problem for generations of women that they they say they aren't mechanical. Well, that's because uh, the men use the tools and the women use the pots and pans. That's the way it was. So I think that education has come a long way in developing women professionally And it starts early in the game with girls having equal opportunity to different courses and uh, uh, different approaches to education. Thank you so much. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you have an interesting story and would want to share, please privately message us at Girls Lead Podcast. And a special thanks to Lexi, Damien, Uncle Chester, and Lillian's grandmother and our social media director. Make sure to follow us on Instagram to view updates and potential episodes. See you the Thursday after next Thursday. We encourage all listeners to do independent research on the events mentioned.